Well, once again, we want to thank you for the questions that you've been passing along uh, related to faith and culture and how to relate our faith to our culture, how to share our faith with gentleness and respect, always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have and that hope that is in Jesus. And in answer to that, that text from 1 Peter chapter 3, um, this week we're going to cover an important question, really two questions. I'm going to read them to you now. And uh, here's the first one from two different people, and they're related. It says this, why should we care if people around us are sinning? As long as they know Jesus, can't they just keep doing it? That's question number one. In other words, what's the big deal? Why worry about sin if people know Jesus? Aren't we saved by grace is kind of the synopsis of that. And, and here's a second question Somewhat related, though maybe a little more in depth. Many people, this is the question, many people are confused by this term, and I've heard them say this. I am, or I am not, predestined to go to heaven. So why do I need to do anything? Nothing I do will change things. What is the scriptural explanation and or a Lutheran Christian view on this? So that gets more into predestination, and after all, if I'm predestined to hell, what's the difference? Or if I'm predestined to heaven, what's the difference? What could I possibly do to change it? So who cares, in essence? Or another way to summarize the question of the day is, if I'm saved by God's grace, does it matter how I live? Do I have your attention yet? Is this a question you've ever wondered about? or ever thought about. And uh, to get there, kind of take you back, as I mentioned, it's been an interesting week here uh, in a lot of ways. I want to introduce you to somebody I got a chance to know a little bit. His name is Clark Cavern, and um, he is uh, working his way to become a professional spelunker. He's a a second-year student at the Michigan Institute of Spelunkers. Um, And well, at least he was this week. And, and he, um, what, what we learned about Clark is um, he's not exactly the sharpest stalactite in the cave, uh, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but uh, as I got to know this character a little bit, I learned a little more about professional spelunking, which is a fancy word for cave exploration. You know, there really is such a thing as becoming a, a professional caver. And a big part of the training that is involved in professional caving has to do with search and rescue. Um, professional cavers are trained in how to, uh, you know, this incredibly detailed and difficult uh, thing of if somebody gets trapped in a cave somewhere in the world, there's only a select group of people who are capable and trained in how to rescue somebody. And if you think that's not a big deal, it happens quite a bit because a lot of people are into the sport of spelunking. And it is a very dangerous sport at that because when one becomes trapped or injured, it often is in some of the most remote or difficult to access places in the world, deep in caves. Back in 1925, in upstate New York, there was a man by the name of Floyd Collins 
who deep inside of a cave became trapped by a 25-pound rock. Seemingly, that's the 25-pound rock. What's the big deal? Well, it actually got, it was lodged against his ankle in a very precarious place in such a way that over the next two weeks, rescuers attempted to somehow, some way, break him free and, and thousands of people gathered outside the cave entrance. The National Guard was called in. And all of these attempts to free this man from that predicament were useless. After two weeks, he finally died. And, and it just shows me how just something, seemingly one of the simplest things of getting caught by one just 25-pound rock can have deadly effects. How precarious is your situation today, my situation. When we look at the cave of despair called sin that God's word reflects on again and again, that if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Sin is deadly. And it's a condition we are born in in this broken world. It's a condition we are powerless to do anything about. You know, a lot of people think, maybe, maybe if I just try harder, The problem is our situation is so precarious that we are powerless to save ourselves. We need a rescuer, one who will enter in with light and the know-how who would make it possible for us to be rescued. Um, There's another situation back, what was your 19, I think it was 95, uh, a young lady down in Arizona um, she was in a, a deep cavern, a very, very, one of the most remote regions of Arizona. And, and she actually fell inside the cave and, and broke her leg and, and really was powerless to do anything about it. She was stuck there. It took five days for rescuers uh, to make their way down in there and, and retrieve her and extract her. And, and she was saved through that. And it's not like she got out of the cave and said, look what I just did. I saved myself. No. The credit went to the rescuers. Those who risked their lives to go to that place of despair where this young lady was stuck. And they saved her life. You know, there's a lot of parallels to our story here today. In a God who enters into the brokenness of our despair. I think there's a picture here of what a cave rescue can look like and the harnesses that are involved and the intensity of preserving a life and those who are trained to do such a thing. And so under that backdrop, I want to get into this question today. What about this idea of does it matter how I live? If I'm saved by grace, does it matter? And where does predestination enter into this question in this picture? Well, to answer that, um, I'm going to invite you, and, and you know what? Um, there are going to be no scriptures on the screens. I'm going to invite you to open scripture today. I'm going to invite you to maybe get out that note page in the connection today uh, to write down these scriptures, because you may want to go back and, and study them a little more intently, because we don't have a lot of time to go into it with great depth today. Um, but to answer, first of all, the question that is raised, or at least implied in the questions that were handed in, Does God predestine or elect some to go to hell and others to go to heaven? Let's start by answering that question. Does God 
predestined some to go to hell and others to go to heaven. To answer that, I want to turn to, to a passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and really right before that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and, and it says this. This pleases our God and our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, this is one of many passages where God makes it very clear his number one desire, his uh, number one goal as a professional rescuer, as the ultimate rescuer, his number one goal is for all people to be saved. I mean, would it make sense for God from all eternity, knowing our brokenness, knowing the precarious situation of humanity, being broken and fallen in sin, where death, eternal damnation, and hell is on the line, would it make sense for God to go to all extremes to enter into the brokenness of our humanity as a Savior, and at the same time, desire for some people not to be saved? God's Word actually speaks nowhere that God desires or plans for people to be damned to hell. The idea of double predestination, which is popular not in Lutheran theology, but in another theology, Calvinism, um, is actually not biblical. The Bible doesn't speak about people being predestined to hell. Um, That makes absolutely no sense. It's outside of the character of God. God desires all people to be saved. Um, So so answer that question first of all. The idea of, hey, I'm predestined to hell. Uh, Time out here. Why would somebody say that? And, and in our witness to an individual, we, we, that's a great starting point. Say, so why would you say that? The Bible doesn't actually talk about that kind of thing. Um, that's an important thing in our witness today to be equipped in, first of all. Uh, but, but also, you know, if, if, if that's true and, and God desires all people to have a relationship with him, a saving relationship as he comes for that ultimate divine rescue into our broken world. Uh, another question that might come up next then is, well, what is then the place of predestination or election. How, how does that work? And, and, and where do we fit into that mix? And, and where, is that a, a, a doctrine of despair or fear? Or is that a doctrine of hope and peace and joy? Where do we fall into that? We'll go into that a little bit by answering that with a, a passage of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through six, and it says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, there's a lot in that, but you heard that word predestined several times. And what's important is always in context. When it talks about predestination, it, it, it never mentions we are predestined because we are so good or because we've earned it or attained it. The word predestination is always in context with the context of being predestined in Jesus. 
that we bear the name of Jesus, that our identity is found in Jesus. And, and that's critical because when we realize the whole idea of predestination is being found in Christ, that our identity in Christ. Now, that's a faith relationship, right? Faith comes by hearing the word and, and, and the Holy Spirit working on our hearts that leads us to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's all by grace. It's all by God's leading. It's all by God's power. But our identity is found in Jesus. And, and so the idea of being predestined is all by way of saying, I bear the name of Jesus. As a baptized child of God, I bear the name of Jesus as one who God is at work in my story in an ongoing way through his word. God's predestination in my life because I bear the name of Jesus as the only one true, truly sinless one. Uh, the only perfect one. The only one who is truly obedient is Jesus. And as I bear the name of Jesus, God the Father looks on my life through that lens of the identity found in Jesus as the one predestined from all eternity to bring salvation. My identity, again, is found in the rescuer, the one who lays down his life for me. I, I love how it's just kind of a helpful book. It's in our church library. Um, Pastor Steve and I also have a copy um, Really a great read, especially if you have insomnia. I'm actually just joking. Um, it's uh, called A Summary of Christian Doctrine, and it actually, this is great stuff. And it's, it's kind of a summary of, of our Lutheran teachings, um, and, and there's volumes and volumes that we use in the seminary, uh, training in theology, in, in what we understand and believe from Scripture. And uh, this is a, a summary of that. It's kind of the Reader's Digest version. And, and this is what... What Edward Kaler, the compiler of, of this summary, says about the idea of predestination that might be helpful today. Um, this is a, a briefly stated the doctrine of predestination is this. Whatever God has done, is doing, and will still do for us during our life on earth to bring us to faith in Christ and to preserve us in this faith unto eternal salvation. He's saying that's what predestination is. Notice what wasn't mentioned there. Anything about what we do or do or haven't done. Um, and in fact, he clarifies that. It, it is not a matter of chance or, or you know, of something that just happens randomly. No, it's, neither is it motivated by any personal merit and worthiness or better conduct, which God foresaw in some people or not others. No, it's not that. But rather, what God has from eternity purposed and planned. And by grace for Christ's sake, he has chosen and predestined us to salvation before the foundation of the world. In other words, those who bear the name of Jesus... It's kind of like the love of Jesus carrying us and, and rescuing us out of the pit and laying us down. And the first thing we realize is that our rescuer has our picture on his chest as a badge saying, I love you. I have called you by name. I've rescued you. I've had you in mind your entire life and even before that from all eternity. I've had you in mind to rescue you. 
and the fulfillment of that throughout our life of celebrating that rescued effort. The God that gives us life is the fulfillment of that predestination. A God who had you in mind. What an incredible gift that is. One that is intended to bring ex- exceeding joy. One that's meant to bring hope and an understanding. It is not an accident. It is not random that you are in a relationship with Jesus. By chance, no. But by the purpose of God's work from all eternity and God's intentional work to bring salvation to your heart. You know, you've maybe heard it said before, if you were the only one that needed saving, God still would have climbed into the pit of despair, of brokenness on a cross to die in your place. It's what it would take him. It would take him his life to rescue you. And God had it in mind to do just that. So the question then comes up, all right, can I forfeit that? Uh, Isn't it true? Aren't we once saved, always saved? So what does it matter? If I'm saved by God's grace and his love and he's forgiven my sin, why not just live it up and live it up to the full? Well, does that really make sense? When we put it in context, I mean, sometimes I think we, we talk about it in that way as if when, when God establishes right and wrong, as if he's just some big killjoy trying to break through and, and make our lives difficult and, and, and filled with more despair because we have to follow his way. Are, are you kidding me? Why would he say don't commit adultery? <laughs> because guess what? That brings pain. <laughs> it brings hurt. It destroys lives. Why would God say, don't cheat, don't steal, be honest? Well, why? (laughs) Because when we cheat, when we're dishonest, it it eventually catches up to us. And it makes our lives uh, very difficult and very frustrating and overwhelmed with with grief and struggle. Uh, You know, and, and the list goes on. God establishes right and wrong because he loves us. He cares for us. And he knows that if we lean too far over the edge of the cliff, inside the cavern, guess what? We're going to fall deeper into despair and the brokenness of sin. So the idea of saying, hey, I'm I'm just going to hang out there, go live out there, do whatever I want. Put it in another context. I was recently rear-ended down on the corner down there. And I'm going through the insurance thing right now in Michigan, a no-fault zone. There's always somebody at fault. Hello. Um, But... Going through insurance, you know, I don't, as a driver who owns a car, has insurance and has a license, I don't get out on the road and say, well, because I have a car and because I have insurance and and because I have a license, well, then I can drive any way I want. It doesn't matter. It's crazy. Because to risk my life, to drive on the wrong side of the road, to disobey traffic lights, because who cares? I've got a license. I've got a car. I've got insurance. It doesn't make sense. We wouldn't do that. And especially when we realize someone was willing to lay down their life for us. It gives us greater purpose and greater meaning. I guarantee you the young lady back in 95 who was rescued out of that cavern in in Arizona and it had taken days to get her out. The gratefulness and the sense of purpose in her life for those who are willing to put their life in jeopardy, that she might be rescued. What does that do for us today? The thought of disregarding Jesus or the thought of who cares, I'm going to live it up, that is to realize you've misunderstood grace from the get-go. You don't realize what God has done for you. 
We do not believe once saved, always saved. Faith can be rejected. Faith can be left behind. Faith can be pushed aside. As Jesus says, the only unforgivable sin in Scripture that God points out is the sin against the Holy Spirit, which is a sin of unbelief. We say to God, I don't care, and we walk away. And I guarantee it, if you're worried, if you've committed that sin, if you're worried about it, you haven't committed it. You wouldn't be worried about it. You wouldn't be concerned in the least. So that gets us back to, well then, should we have compassion for those who are openly sinning in their life? Why wouldn't we just say, oh, who cares? Let them do whatever they want. If they know about Jesus, isn't that good enough? Well, do they know about Jesus? You know, I was thinking of, you know, there's, why would we ever want to enter the cave again? Well, there is a reason. Because when we know the one who rescued us from the cave, and we know about his love, and we know how he's given us this gift of joy and peace, a sense that our eternal destiny is taken care of. It's not an accident that God is working in our life through his word and, and our hunger and thirst to know him more and more and have a relationship with him. But there is a reason to enter that cave again, not to break into sin and rebellion, no, <laughs> but rather because the light of Jesus has had its effect on us. And when we walk through life and we realize there are other people in desperate places of despair and brokenness, God has given us his light. And that is a reason to enter into the cave around us, the people, and extend that hand of the love of Christ, the light of Jesus, to say, God is with you today. And to share Jesus with them. To always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And to do that with gentleness and respect today. I love what God's word has to say about that. You know, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Does that mean to do it with fear? No. But every day to realize our calling in our election, in our predestination as people of God is to be people who have eyes for those who don't know the Lord. Who have eyes that see people in despair and realize apart from Jesus, they are dying. They are in a precarious situation. And the compassion of Jesus that flows through our life by knowing him is to offer that life-giving message of Christ and to do so with gentleness and respect for the light of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we we praise you for for answers. And, And we praise you for the way that you are at work in our world, especially as a Savior who enters into that precarious situation of our sin and our brokenness and our despair. We are powerless to save ourselves. And Lord, those apart from you are powerless to save themselves. Lord, thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for calling us by name and then choosing us and equipping us to go out and extend that light and and hand of your presence and your mercy to those around us. Lord, open our eyes to see those precarious situations those places of despair in the lives of those around us. Give us eyes to see and compassion to share your love with them through your presence in Jesus' name as we bear your name as people of God in Jesus' name. Amen.